So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. You regret that? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much. Association football is the most popular outdoor sport in Britain. Thousands play and millions watch the game. Keenest of all are the youngsters, whose heroes are the famous professional footballers, and who dream of the day when they too perhaps may wear the colours of a famous club and hear the roar of the crowd. Hello and welcome to the first episode of Under Flat Caps and Bowler Hats, a man-marking production. My name is Danny Reid, and today I'll be talking you through the enigmatic career, the legend, the myth that is Robin Friday. Griggsy put it brilliantly. He said if George Best was football's first pop star, then Robin was football's first rock star. There was one match where he was up against Mark Lawrenson and he was being marked very tightly and getting very frustrated. And eventually that frustration boiled over. I think Laura went in for a sliding tackle and Robin ended up kicking him in the face. Uh, the referee gave a bad decision and somebody shouted out from the uh, from the stands, Ref, ref, you're a wanker. And Robin shouted back, he really is, isn't he? <laughs> you know. I think most people felt he really wasn't the same player once he joined Cardiff and, and he was past his best even at, at a relatively young age. didn't think I was going to try and tell a story this epic all on my own. Absolutely not. I had two guests with me today. You've just heard their two voices. Let me hand over to them to introduce themselves. Well, um, my name's Paolo Hewitt and uh, I used to, um, I started my career at um, uh, Melody Maker and Enemy, both of which are now gone. I don't know if that was anything to do with me, but there you go. And um, uh, then I went freelance in 1990. In 94, I met Noel Gallagher and the Oasis boys. And then in 95, I went out to Chicago. Uh, and um, I mean, they, they're all big football heads. Um, Noel and, and Gwigsy in particular. Gwigsy is, is like, Gwigsy could tell you who played left back for Bulgaria in the 1954 World Cup, you know, that kind of level. Yeah. Uh, he pulled he pulled me to one side. He said, "I'm really, really pissed off." And I said, "Why?" He said, "Look at this article," and it was this five-page spread about this guy Robin Friday and uh, this incredible story. And he said, "I'm so pissed off. You know, I I don't know anything about this guy. You know." And as it happened, um, Oasis had three months off in the summer of '96, so um, we decided to go and see if there was a story there because. You know, but the 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 uh, the article by Graham Ray was, you know, you you just read it with your mouth open, you know, going, what was going on here, you know? So we started going down to the Reading Evening Post. We met um, Clive the Hound Baskerville, and um, he's he's their uh, chief sports writer, 
And then every Wednesday we'd sit in this small little room with volumes and volumes of the Reading Evening Post, which was a daily newspaper. And so we had to go through every page, you know, you know and uh, but the story just got bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, it was, you know, and then Robin started getting interviewed and, you know, he'd come out with quotes like, tell us about your debut goal. Well, I, I was going to back heel it, but as it was my debut goal, I thought I better not be too flash. So I just side footed it into the net, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, and then we met his wife, Lisa. We met um, Tony, his brother. We met the parents. And, um, you know, within about six, eight months, we, you know, we, we, we had the story. And it was, you know, quite a, um, quite a tale. Yeah, um, my name's Paul Fennessy. I'm a journalist with an Irish website called the 42.ie. Um, I've been there for, I just had my ninth anniversary recently. Um, I kind of vaguely known about Robin Friday, a colleague of mine, Owen O'Callaghan, wrote a very good piece on him um, a while back. But basically, because there isn't too much football or any sport really going on at the moment, we had a a team week on the site recently, it was a genius week and my editor Adrian Russell um, suggested doing an article on, on Robin and um, so from there I just kind of delved into a lot of research and figured Paolo having basically written the definitive book along with, with Paul McGuigan on Robin would be the perfect person to, to talk to so yeah it, it started from there and we got a, a great piece out of it. Before we get started on who Robin Friday was and why we wanted to feature him on the first episode of Flat Caps and Bowler Hats, let's have a little bit of a look at the context in which Robin Friday was playing by taking a look back at 1974, the year Robin Friday made his professional football debut. And to do that, we're going to need a little bit of musical accompaniment because we are talking about football's first rock star, after all. Whilst we celebrated the start of another year, the lights were going out all over Britain. The oil crisis just added fuel to the coal crisis and gave us the three-day week. It was back to work with Labour. A minority government led us from crisis to contract, a pact with the TUC. Dennis Healy presented a budget to make Britain a fairer, if not richer, place to live. President Nixon resigned, ousted by the Watergate scandal and ill health. And I want to say this to the television audience. I made my mistakes. But in all of my years of public life, I have never profited, never profited from public service. I've earned every cent. And in all of my years of public life, I have never obstructed justice. And I think, too, that I can say that in my years of public life, that I welcome this kind of examination because people have got to know whether or not their president's a crook well, I'm not a crook. I've earned everything I've got. That team is as good as any team that's ever played in British football. I'm not just saying it because I played in them. I'm, I'm saying it for their sake because nobody will say it about them. 
everybody's got a, a down on Leeds United in that particular year, they had a down on them. But I wouldn't have anybody say anything else. I, I think that, I mean, I've seen a lot of football from the early, the early 40s. And uh, that team that Leeds United had was one of the strongest, if not one of the best teams that this country's ever had. Leeds won the league by five points, staying in top spot all season. Callahan's available behind Keegan. Beautiful ball to Smith. He didn't have to move to get it. Ball to Smith. Highway, Liverpool showing the party pieces. He wasn't offside. Smith. Yes! Keegan second. And Newcastle were undressed. They were absolutely stripped naked. Hold it, man. He's not bluffing. Listen to him, man. He's just crazy enough to do it. Drop it. Or I swear I'll blow this nigga's head all over this house. Oh, Lordy Lord, he's desperate. Do what he says. Do what he says. Senator, you can have my answer now if you want. My offer is this. Nothing. Not even the fee for the gaming license, which I would appreciate if you would put out personally. Take them home! Just get them the hell out of here! Forget it, Jake. It's Chinatown. Well, see, my brains will offset this mummy being to theater early because this man will retire. If you think I'm from Sonny Lister, you ain't like it, George Fulman. He talks too much, he's ugly, he's pretending I'm the true champion, and they make me the underdog, I'm gonna show them all their roles because I'm the champion, I'm the real champion. There'll never be one like me. And all you people in Britain who rank me as the greatest, I'm gonna prove I'm the greatest, I'm gonna prove to you I'm the greatest, we gonna prove to the world I'm the greatest. This is my last fight, I don't want none of you to miss it, so please come to the theaters. I'm going to eat some raw meat, and I'm going to train, I'm going to get ready and chop some more trees. So you now know a little bit more about the context. Let's now delve into the story. Who was Robin Friday? Who really was Robin Friday? We started out by asking a little bit about Robin's childhood, where he came from, and what it was like. He came from a very kind of loving family. I mean, his his father, Ralph, and uh, his mother, Sheila, they doted on the twins. Um, I mean, Tony and Robin are twins. If you look at them, you just can't believe they're twins. Tony's about five foot five. Robin was six foot two. You know, I mean, but they were 20 minutes apart. Um, um, and he grew up in a, on, on an estate in Acton, which Tony once described to me. And I, I think this is very, very prescient. He, he described it to me as... On our estate, you either had a giggle or you died. <laughs> so you can imagine what kind of place it was. Um, but the father, Alf, I don't think he missed one of Robin or Tony's games. He always supported the boys. And he tells a lovely story in the book about how he was a postman and you know he'd get up at four o'clock in the morning. He said every morning there'd be a, a tap on the window and it'd be Robin waving, waving goodbye to me you know, for the day. Um, so, so it was a very close knit family, really, but in a very tough and very uncompromising, you know, uh, environment. Yeah, he uh, he got done for nicking car stereos. Um, I think when they nicked him, he was wearing you know one of those toy policeman hats. <laughs> he was wearing one of those, um, and he went to Ballstool. Um, 
but by then his skill as a footballer was Tony Tony's a very good footballer as well I mean it, it, the closest I could I mean I never saw either play but I think the closest you can get to is like if Tony was Iniesta then Robin was Messi do you know what I mean yeah. Tony was a very like skillful clever little player but he, he didn't have the flash that uh, that, that Robin had um, and he said to me, you know, we were 13, 14, and we were playing pub sides of 17, 18, you know. So his skill was already coming through. When he got to Ballstool, um, somebody tipped off Hayes, the uh, the local football club, about him. And the guy went down to look at him. And as soon as he came out of Ballstool, he was, he was signed to Hayes uh, Football Club, who at that time were in the Ismian League. And I'm pretty... Well, I just said I didn't see Robin play. I'm pretty sure I saw him play. I'm pretty sure... I, I've got a distinct memory. I'm from Woking. And Woking were in the Ismian League. And I remember going to this game one day. And it was Woking v Hayes. And hearing about, you know, oh, you've got to see this this player. He's amazing, you know. And and that, that must have been Robin. It must have been. Um, and he was a big hit at Hayes. Um, you know, he, 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 you know, he was, uh, all the, all the stuff that he kind of did at Reading, he was doing at Hayes, you know, amazing skill, talking to the crowd. There's one bit where, um, uh, the referee gave a bad decision and somebody shouted out from the, uh, from the stands, ref, ref, you're a wanker. And Robert shouted back, he really is, isn't he? <laughs> you know, um, so he always had that kind of relationship with the fans. There were some people who got very annoyed with him, though, because I, I met an A's fan and he said he drove us mad. I said, why? He said, well, he'd get the ball. He'd go past three players and the centre forward was standing in front of an open goal. But instead of passing it to him, he'd go back and beat the three players again. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, you know, but his skill was obviously, you know, of a of a great level. Anyway, Hayes drew Reading in the FA Cup. Reading were bottom of the fourth division and uh, in real stick. The manager was a guy called Charlie Hurley, who was um, who Sunderland fans will know as as their, their player of the century. And um, you know, tough, uncompromising centre half. Um, Irish and um, he um, he saw Robin play and um, he signed him um, uh, and then he had him in the reserves for about a month and one of the first things he had to do was to tell Robin to stop kicking all the first team players because he was so you know he for him training was like playing a game of football so he'd just go out and play football like he did, you know. And he'd be nobbling his own teammates and they were getting a bit annoyed with it. Uh, and the second thing he did was to give him his debut, which I think was against Northampton. And uh, he got him in his office and he said to him, Robin, because by now Charlie had realised what Robin was about. And... Uh, he said to him, Robin, I'm going to give you your debut against Northampton. You're in the first team. At this point, I'd just like to pause and row back a tiny little bit to the year that Robin came out of Borstal. What was going on in his personal life? Yeah, that's right. He 
married a girl called Maxine and had a child with her. Uh, they're about 17, I believe, at the time. Um, this was in the, I think it was at a time certainly when racism was probably even more of a, a big issue than it was these days. It was certainly more overt. So for Robin to enter into a, a mixed race marriage was extremely controversial. Um, both his and uh, Maxine's parents were against the, the marriage. His father didn't even attend the wedding. Um, so it was extremely controversial. And also, um, I believe he was attacked on at least one occasion because of this. Tony's take on it was that um, it was typical of Robin that he that anything that anybody else was doing, he would go the other way. So, for, for example, on, on the estate, everybody had short hair and wore Ben Sherman's and stay pressed. He had long hair and, and an Afghan coat. He was always looking to, to, to kind of go the other way to what other people wanted. He just wanted, he was like that. That's, that's how he was. Okay, so back to the football. Robin has had a very successful period at Reading and has helped him gain promotion to the third division. But then, for some reason, he sold on to Cardiff. So we asked Paolo and we asked Paul a little bit more about that period. Yeah, he, um, he'd he got Reading promoted, basically. I mean, without him, I don't think Reading would have gone up. I mean, you've got to understand, when he joined, they were bottom of the fourth division. And by the time he left, they were in the third division. So, you know, it just shows you his, what he did for that side. But he, um, he had six weeks off and... Um, his uh, drinking and his drugging and his everything kind of just increased. Um, and Charlie Hurley said he was never the fastest player, but by the, even he admitted he'd lost a yard of pace by the time he came back. You can kind of afford to get away with that, or at least some people can for a certain number of years. But, like, I mean, he retired by the time he was 25. So that, that shows partially the, the effect that it had. It, it had caught up with him at an age when most football players are not even at their peak yet. Um, and uh, as Paolo mentioned, he had lost a, a yard of pace. And um, I think most people felt he really wasn't the same player once he joined Cardiff and, and he was past his best even at, at a relatively young age. There was a Cardiff fan who said to me he never understood why Cardiff fans loved him so much. He said, I watched him in every game and he played well in three of them. He played 25 games for Cardiff. He played well in three of them. You know, which gives you some idea of of, of the toll that, that, that it was taking on him. At this point, it's definitely worth having a little look at the off-the-field antics that for so many people made Robin Friday such an enigma. But were they true? Were they a myth? How much of it can we believe? That was the next section of our story. Well, he was banned ten times from the local pub, <laughs> 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 and um, he never, you know, he wouldn't go into training until Thursday. And you know, he 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 kind of it was, you know, Griggsy put it brilliantly. He said, "If George Best was football's first pop star, then Robin was football's first rock star." You know, that's the kind of life he led, and. Um, but as Charlie Hurley just learned to take, turn a blind eye to it. He he just as long as Robin was performing on the pitch, 
In fact, there was there was one day when all the players went to see Charlie and said, you know, this guy Robin's taking the piss. You know, he never comes in for training. You know, you've got to do something about it. And he just said, well, if you want to lose your win bonuses, then fine. And uh, they all went, OK, well, we'll leave as it is then. <laughs> so, um, but I think um, I think it was mainly the drugs. The drugs had kind of in- increased. And Charlie Hurley said to me a beautiful thing. He said to me that, um, he said, I never told anybody why, why I sold Robin Friday. Um, and reading between the lines, I, I think it was heroin that we're talking about here. Uh, and um, he said, I'd rather be known as the wanker who sold him than tell anybody what, what really went on. It shows you the kind of father-son relationship that, 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 that they had. How much of it is true and how much of it is, is myth and legend? Well, oh, it's, it's always the same, isn't it? We, we, we played around with this in the book. So everybody would say to us, Oh, he he always he was in the pub for a game. He'd have a couple of pints of Colt. He he, he loved drinking bottles of Colt Forty Five, and then you'd meet someone else. They say, "Oh, he'd never drink." Before. Tony said to him, "He never drank before a game, and his favourite drink was um, uh, Jack Daniel's whiskey." You know, there was always, you know, it, that's the thing about players like Robin. Myths grow up around them, and it's very hard to separate the fact from the fiction. I, I, if I could just add to that, I, I think it, it's almost part of the appeal that he came from an era where there wasn't wall-to-wall coverage of football. Yeah, um, the, his games weren't shown on TV, and and people are attracted to that kind of sense of, of mystery, and that that's part of what made yeah. him so popular. I think. For example, if you take the goal that he scored, sorry about this, Daniel, against Tranmere. Um, the uh, so I've asked like twenty people who were at, at that ground to tell me how exactly it happened. One will say, "Well, it was a goal kick. Steve Death took this goal goal kick and it came over and he chested it down and walloped it in." And then some of us go, "No, no, it was from a throw on. It was, this guy threw it and then he chested it. No, it was from a free kick." You know, so that you know, you're right, Paul. This kind of mythology grows up around you know someone like Robin um, because they are. You know, because there is no physical evidence of of actually what went on, you know, in 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 those in, in those games. When writing the book, Paolo had spoken to Robin's second wife Lisa, all about Robin and his life and their life together. So I wanted to know, what was it like from her perspective? You see, Lisa's a very kind of strong woman, and I think Robin was really attracted to that. I, I think he. You know, she was different from all the other girls around Reading. She had her own kind of thing going on. So, you know, they got married quite quickly. I mean, it's great as well. The BBC covered the, the wedding and um, they start interviewing Robin while he's rolling a spliff on the church steps. <laughs> they can't, you know. So she said it was really exciting and, and they'd go out to London, they'd go to concerts and, you know, it was just a laugh. I mean, everything was a laugh, I think. I mean, I go back time and time again to Tony's comment. You, either on our estate, you either had a giggle or you died. And I think what happened with Robin was it didn't matter who he was playing for. If he was playing for England, he would have had a giggle. You know, it was his culture. That's that's where he was from. And so, you know, whether he played for Reading, the pub side, Hayes, or England, he could have played for England. 
it, it was all about having a giggle and entertaining people and you know um but that kind of disappeared as, as the addictions grew that kind of disappeared because you know a drug that kind of you know you take once and it keeps you up all night and you have a great time and blah 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 and then you shrug it off and you know once that becomes you've got to have that and once a desperation comes in then the then the fun goes out of it and she said towards the end it was just horrible i mean she she came home once and and robin thought he was janice joplin he loved janice joplin and he was he was saying i am the ghost of janice joplin to her you know i mean it was probably quite tough on her at the end i would have thought I did a book about Steve Marriott, the small faces guy, and I spoke to a guy called Harry Shapiro, who wrote a brilliant book about the relationship between music and drugs. And he said, you know, you can take heroin. I mean, I didn't know this because I've, I've never done it, but he said you can take heroin and you can actually you can keep keep a job down while you're on it. You know, you, you can, you know, you can actually, you know, um, fashion your life that, that you can... You know, you, you can do heroin and, and carry on working and whatever. So I think that, um, I think obviously the addiction grew um, up, up until a point where he was on methadone. He was prescribed methadone. And that's when, that's when he dies because the chemist, it was Christmas, and the chemist rang up Tony and said, your brother hasn't been in for his methadone over the last two days. And Tony knew then. Um, that, that something was bad, went round to his house and better being there he was. Robin Friday spent just one season at Cardiff, playing only 25 games, and after that his professional career came to an end. And even that, even that period of his life, there are myths and legends and conflicting stories about what actually happened. So we wanted to find out what did happen, why did Robin leave professional football? It was uh, Jimmy Andrews, who apparently was... You know, really went out of his way to help Robin because by this time, Robin was living in Bristol with Lisa, and he was getting her to um, to uh, to to go to as many doctors as possible and get this pill, which had just come out, which was uh, a pill for uh, women who suffered badly with uh, periods, and so he got her to get him all these pills and then he'd grind them up and you know and and take them. So, and, and, but the trouble with Jimmy Andrews was he wasn't Charlie Hurley. He he was a tactician, you know. He wanted his players to play in a certain style, whereas Charlie Hurley's philosophy was basically to the rest of the team. You see the long-haired geezer over there. Just give him the ball. <laughs> that's that's kind of the Reading tactics, and it worked a treat. But with Cardiff, he he was he didn't he, you know Robin was not one to track back. You know, if you said to him, right, you need to you know mark the number nine and you know track back and blah 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 he was never going to do that because that's that, that's not his game he was a maverick you know there was one match where he was up against mark lawrenson and mark Lawrence he was brighton was, for brighton yeah and and he was being marked very tightly and getting very frustrated and eventually that frustration boiled over i think laura went in for a sliding tackle and he, robin ended up kicking him in the face um, of course, he got sent off and was handed a big suspension. And then afterwards, allegedly, although, as, as you mentioned, there is some discrepancies, he um, defecated in, in Mark Lawrenson's kit bag. So, uh, but I, I think some people 
deny that happened, whereas others say it did. So it, it's probably impossible to know for sure. Mark Lawrenson denies it. Yeah. But you see, the other thing you got to remember as well is that um, referees hated Robin. In the 70s, if you had long hair, it was a problem. It was a big problem. You know, a lot of people didn't get jobs because they had long hair. You know, if you had long hair, you, you were part of a culture that was, you know, about music and drugs and, you know, that, that whole, that, that's what the perception of long-haired people was at that time. And referees didn't like him. They called him Pikey. They, um, you know, they, 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 you know, if, if he got hacked down, it was like, come on, get up, you know, and, and, uh, so I, th I think that I think that kind of contributed towards it as well, and it was also very symbolic that the season that he left, the next season, uh, Liverpool started wearing advertising on their shirts, <clears throat> and that signalled everything that leads up to, obviously, to the Premier League today. And I don't think Robin could ever have been a part of that. You know, I think he left just at the right time, to be honest. Yeah. What What I think is also important to stress is that. And you kind of alluded to it there. Football was almost a different game yeah. back then in that, like, John Giles, the former Ireland and Leeds player, has a great line about how you could almost get away with grievous bodily harm. But all the teams in those days, you had to commit grievous bodily harm to get a yellow card. Yeah. It was so, there was so much let go by referees and it was very difficult to get sent off. So players could easily just kind of hacked down Robin and he obviously got increasingly frustrated by that. And I think that part, that was, that certainly contributed to his decision to become fed up and, and leave the game. Also, the, the other thing as well is that, so you, you have a guy who's physically waning and yet he's playing in, he played it, he starts off in the fourth division, Cardiff was second division. It's a much tougher league. You know, Reading in the third division was, was very tough for him as well. You know, th those leagues, are, as we well know, are very, very tough. And you, you have to be fit. You have to be able to withstand it. And, um, you know, as, as his powers waned, it, it got increasingly difficult for him. And I think he just got frustrated. The fun had gone out of it. Clive Thomas went up to him after the Tranmere goal and said, I've refereed games with Pelé and Cruyff and you know, world superstars, but that is easily the best goal I've ever seen on a football pitch that I've refereed. And Robin's reply was, well, you should come down here every week then, shouldn't you? <laughs> so that's, he had that, that, that kind of, this refusal to take it seriously, but he had just immense talent. I mean, if you look at someone like, uh, let's say, Harry Kane, right? Who's obviously worked, he works extremely hard. Beckham's another one. They work extremely hard. You know, everything goes into it. And Robin just didn't have that kind of, you know, he just didn't have that inside of him. And as long as he could get away with, you know, going out on a Friday night and getting home at four in the morning and turning up at Reading at three o'clock in the afternoon and scoring a hat-trick, then it was all good. It was fun. It was a laugh. But then as you go up the leagues, it suddenly becomes much more serious, you know, it becomes tougher. Defenders, you know, I mean, they were brutal. You know, you're so right, Paul, because, I mean, look at that Chelsea-Leeds Cup final. I mean, some referee looked at it and said there'd been about four players left on the field if, it had been, if that had been played now, you know. So, I, you know, I think that, the physicals winning, the, 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 the loss of fun, you know, 
a manager who didn't really know how to utilize him to to his best you know all those kind of factors meant he just walked out the game he walked out after three years as a pro and it didn't worry him he was like sorry i'll go back on the building yeah which is what he did he worked with tony for the uh, on the building for the um throughout the 80s I'm gonna pause it here and we're gonna go back a little bit to a time before robin was a professional footballer when he was working on a building site and he had a life-changing experience. Yeah, um, basically he was working on a roof in, in Lambeth one day. He was 20 years old. It was when he was playing for Hayes. And he slipped and fell and landed on a spike, which narrowly missed his lung. If, he had, if it had got his lung, it obviously would have killed him. So I guess... The, the incident just served to remind him of how precious life is and like I'm not sure if he could say it, it, it changed his philosophy I, I guess it, it more he sort of doubled down in his philosophy of just living life to the fullest knowing that it could end very quickly yeah I think that's right I mean I, I think in terms of um you know, we're trying to make a film at the moment and, you know, we're using that as a kind of, what they call an inciting incident, the point where the hero realises life's fragile, you could go anytime, so what the fuck, we're going to, you know, we're going to party like it's 1999. But he was doing that before that spike incident in reality. You know, he was no angel up when that, when that spike went into him. So, but I, I think you're right, Paul. I think it just served to remind him you know, that he was right, you know, you should, you know, seize the day, as it were, and, you know, whatever, and, and whatever you, um, you know, you, you that, that that was his kind of philosophy. I think that just strengthened his idea of life rather than changed him completely as a person. That incident on the building site for Robin is incredibly interesting and gives a real insight into why and, and how he lived the rest of his life, always on the edge always seeking a new high. I wanted to know from Paolo and from Paul, if there was any irony in the fact that he was known as someone who didn't give a fuck, somebody who didn't care about life and didn't care about the repercussions of any of his actions. Was that true? Was that really the man that he was? Yeah, um, like, I mean, the title, I wouldn't take it 100% literally. Like, it, it kind of captures the spirit of him really in terms of how he was on the pitch like how kind of effortless he made football look and also off the pitch the way he lived his life like someone who didn't give a fuck at times but like obviously i i think deep down he was passionate and did care about a lot of things like I, he was a showboat as we saw or as, as people saw on the soccer field so like i wouldn't the man who didn't give up it's also a, a nice play in the the super furry animal song which was dedicated to him and um, but I, I think he it would be inaccurate to say like he didn't care about anything or anything like that and he was a sort of nihilistic figure but um i i just think the man who didn't give a fuck it, it has it captures that sort of rock star vibe that he, he gave yeah. off quite nicely well yeah yeah i i would 
thought so, but it's you see that's what I mean. It, it, he didn't have. It, it's not like he was. I mean, Gazette's thing comes from, you know, that he had a traumatic incident as a kid, didn't he? When he saw his best mate run over, um, and Robin never had anything like that really. Um, he he just, you know, <laughs> it's like that George Best interview on Parkinson where he said, "I like drinking beer and I like going to bed with women." The know. ladies, uh, ladies are still important, yeah. <laughs> You keep laughing. I don't. <laughs> what about the booze? Is that important to you? The booze is still important, yeah. 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 <laughs> Get off. <laughs> you know, that's what he liked, you know, and I think that's what Robin liked as well and did it very well. Um, <clears throat> I don't think there was a deep-seated... I don't think he was drinking to, to you know... To, to quell his demons, I think he just really liked drinking, and I think he really liked drugging, and I think he really liked women. And, and um, just to, to add to that as well, like I guess a good way of looking at it is he was a product of his time, really. Mm -hmm. Like we're talking about the seventies when people's understanding of issues like mental health wasn't what it is today. There wasn't the education surrounding it that was there, like. I'd agree that it is a sad story in in some ways and that he died young and didn't really fulfill what he could have on, on the pitch. Um, and and I, I think, like, I, I'd certainly read it as mental health issues to, to some degree, given that the drink, the excessive drinking and drug taking, like, I, I, I feel like people do that too dull some sort of pain so that that's certainly how i interpreted it yeah I, from a modern I, I, context but I, I, maybe robin would have wouldn't have seen it that way i i think i think if there's a sadness it's it's the sadness of a, a, an addict's life because once you're addicted to something and that's your main thing in life then life doesn't become very it's not a very fulfilling life then if you know, every day your, your your biggest chore is to score whatever, you know, whatever gear you got. And if you can't get it, then, I mean, there's stories of Robin. <laughs> he used to wait outside um, train stations and he'd wait for, like, hippie guys to come along. And then he'd grab them and flash his wallet and go, Robin Friday, CID, I'm now going to search you for drugs, you know. And then he'd take their drugs and go home and take them, you know. Um but I think there's a sadness. It's it's that life, you know, leading that kind of, you know, addict addiction life, which is which is never pleasant. Help, I need somebody. Help, not just anybody. Help, you know, I need someone. Help. When I was young, so much younger, the next portion of our story really brings us to the crux of why we wanted to speak to Paolo and to Paul about Robin Friday. He's a man who's been spoken about before, the legends, the myths, the antics, the skills, the tricks, the genius. But what I take from the story is that it's an incredibly sad story, a man with addictions, and maybe if he'd been brought... What I take from the story is that it's an incredibly sad... Whilst, whilst it's an entertaining story, for me it's also an incredibly sad story. A man with addictions in a world that either didn't recognise, couldn't recognise, or wouldn't recognise the fact that he needed help. 
and the fact that maybe his life would have turned, turned out differently had he been able to access that help. And we speak a lot on this podcast about people's ability to be able to speak up when they need that help. Where Robin to being around today, would he have asked for help? Could he have asked for help? That's what I wanted to know next. Oh, I don't know. He came from a culture which would have, um, you know, which which would have railed against anything to do with therapy or rehab, or you know, he would have come from a culture which would see rehab as, you know, something for weak people. You know, um, uh, I, 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 I'm not so sure he would. I mean, what's interesting to me, you know, in in, in terms of mental health, maybe, is that all these guys. The George Best, the Frank Worthingtons, the Robins, the Alan Hudsons, they're all creative. They were all creative. You know, it's never the goalkeeper or the centre-half who are carousing till five in the morning. You know, it's it's always the midfield, you know, the attacking midfielders or the strikers, you know, the ones who love to dribble, the ones who see the pass, the ones who read the game in a way that other people didn't. I mean, one of Robin's greatest skills was his ability to read the game. It, and, and that covered up his lack of pace. He didn't have to be fast, Robin, because he could see he could see what was going to happen. He was so in tune with that and on a different level. Um, so I think that in terms of creativity, maybe there's something there that, you know, a, a lot of creative people, because it takes so much out of them, that they kind of drink to kind of re- release the pressure of it. There's something, there's something to do with creativity and and letting go. You know, I think if you, you know, if you, um, if you spend, you know, if, if you, I, I always think, I mean, it's a little bit off the point, but I always think that the trouble with long seasons for creative players is not physical tiredness, it's mental tiredness. That you've got, you've constantly got a thing, right? You know, when you start the season, you're all fresh, right? I can get the ball over to him, and and by the time you get to January, February, you're like you're struggling mentally. You know, I think, you know, to yeah. To come up with solutions to, you know, I mean, it, you, people put 10 men behind the ball and you've got to get past them somehow, you know. So I think there is a link there between creativity on the pitch and excess off it. I mean, in the same way that rock stars have it. Yeah. You know, you talk, you talk about, you know, I've, I've obviously I've met enough and, you know, they all say after a gig, there's no, there's no coming down. You know, you're you're there till six in the morning because the buzz of it is so huge. You know, and I presume that's the same with football as well. And if I could just add to that as well, like one thing I found really interesting about Robin, um, like he was obviously a flair player, and when you think of flair players, I, I suppose the perception a lot of the time is maybe they're a bit soft or are not kind of. <laughs> physically as capable as other players whereas it was the, the complete opposite was the case with robin like um i've seen more than one description of him as a a warrior so um he kind of he he had the the tenacity as well and, and the toughness to, to go with the skills which is not always the case. I, I spoke to tommy yulden and he said to me look i mean tommy yulden was Exactly the kind of Beckham, Harry Kane type player. On match day, he would go for an hour-long walk to get the muscles ready, get to the ground early, do all his exercises, you know. You know, a complete antithesis to Robin. He said, but if there was one player I'd have on a cold, freezing night away to Northampton, it was Robin Friday. 
because he would he would he would be as tough as a tough as boots you know he didn't he didn't wear shin pads i mean in the 70s not wearing shin pads so as a professional footballer then would robin have fitted in today in the modern sanitized premier league world that we live in yeah he would never have fitted in today i mean i am sick and tired of watching match of the day and seeing players who've scored some amazing goal be interviewed and they go, well, that was an amazing goal. And they go, yeah, 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 it was good. But as long as we got three points for the team, that's the most important thing. They, you know, they're like robots. You know, Robin's quote, oh, I was going to back heel it in, but then I thought, well, it's probably a bit flash. So I just side footed it in. You know, you're dying for, for quotes like that from footballers these days. You know, human, you know, people who are reacting and, and being themselves and not because they've got PR army who've spent Friday, all day Friday, teaching them how to how to talk to cameras, you know, it's, um, you know, Robin wouldn't get, Robin, even with his skill, he wouldn't get within 10 miles of a Premier League club or any club, really, because they just wouldn't stand for it. I mean, players get fined if they come back from holiday a pound overweight. You know, I mean, compare that with Robin, you know, I mean, it, it just wouldn't happen. And and I think that, you know, what I was saying before about the Liverpool thing with the Itachi on their shirts was so symbolic that he should leave at that point, you know, because that that was the start of a new new style of football starting. I, I think it's also no coincidence that that sort of resurgence in interests, like Pablo's or Paolo's book being uh, published, no. the, the Super Furry Animals track coming out, the, the magazine article by... Graham Ray, that was all kind of in the, the mid to late 90s when football was clearly becoming more commercialised, when and also, players were given bland interviews. Yeah, and also you got to remember, also it was a time, you know, let's look at Oasis. I mean, you know, that whole, what they called lad culture was, was huge then, right? There's a lot of bands out there styled and that. You can see them a mile off like Coldplay, you know what I mean? And you know they don't buy their own clothes. So they don't... They don't not do it for me that much, not rock and roll enough, man. And also, the other thing as well is that Robin could Robin could play in Reading. I mean, I remember those days. You know, I used to read the Daily Mirror, who, and they would only cover first division games. The big match, match of the day, first division games. So Robin was a secret, you know. When, when me and Gwigsy started researching... We, we weren't sure, you know, we were like, well, let's see what, you know, let's just see how this evolves. And the story got bigger and bigger and bigger, but it was only the people in Reading and Cardiff who knew about him. You know, and that could never happen today, could it? You know, you, I, I go on Spurs Media Watch, we're, we're ever being linked to some 15-year-old boy wonder or genius or the next, <laughs> this one or that one, you know. Of course, we never sign them, but, um, you know... It, it, Exactly that, you know, the, the, the coverage now of football is, is immense. No one, you just couldn't have the Robin Friday story in, in today's game. Robin's relationship with Charlie Haley was more akin to a, a father-son relationship than it was to a player and manager relationship. Had their relationship lasted longer, had Charlie and, and Robin remained colleagues, remained friends for a longer amount of time, would, would Robin still be allowed today? Would his career have lasted 10, 15, 20 years rather than the three. That was what I really wanted to know next. Well, it's a good question because I think if anybody could have put him back on the tracks, it would have been Charlie. Um, because 
you know, when when we met Charlie and spoke to him and, and we looked at all the, you know, I mean, that quote from Charlie about I'd rather be known as the wanker who sold Robin Friday. The next day they had free bags of mail, hate mail to Reading Football Club saying, how dare you, you know, you, I'm never coming to, to another game you sold Robin Friday. I mean, that's how much he meant to that club. And, that, and, and Charlie was a big part of that because Charlie understood him and knew, you know, when to let him go and when not to. And um, I think, it, you know, I think if anybody could have helped him, it, it would have been Charlie. Um, it's just that he was, they, they were in the third division then and they, they were struggling. And, you know, Robin was, Robin, he was a shadow of his former self. And in fact, I heard a story, and I don't know if it's true or not, that Cardiff never ever played paid Reading thirty grand the thirty grand <clears throat> because they said, you know, he's 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 just he just wasn't what it wasn't what it said on the tin, you know. Sheffield United came in for him a hundred grand at the start of it all. They offered a hundred grand. Why did they not? Why did they not take that offer? Because Robin. I'd said to Charlie Hurley, if you get me, if you let, if you let me join the team, if you, if I sign to Reading, you get me off the estate. I come and live in Reading, and I'll play for you. And Robin was loyal. He was loyal to Charlie. He he didn't care about a hundred grand from Sheffield United. He he was loyal. He said, I'm gonna, I've signed with you, Charlie. That's who I stick with. I'm sure the chairman Frank Waller would love to have sold him. It's funny as you know, Alf would have been part of that as well. His his dad. But, um, you know, he saw more of Charlie in that period than probably his dad. And, um, um, you know, Charlie, I, I, maybe Charlie felt a bit guilty. You know, maybe Charlie felt perhaps I shouldn't have been so lax with him and he wouldn't have ended up where he ended up. Maybe Charlie should have been a bit stronger with him. But, you know, at that time, Robin's knocking in goals left, right and centre. He got him promoted. It's only when you go up to the third division that, that it really starts to tell. One one thing I, I'd like to add as well, and I'd be interested to hear Paolo's taking it. Um, when he joined Cardiff, he, he never actually moved to Cardiff. He, he, li he lived in Bristol. Yeah. So, like, I, I'd imagine that was a big factor as well. The fact that he was constantly having to get the train to Cardiff and, and never really settled there and... He yeah. was getting in trouble with, with police as well for only getting platform tickets. Yeah. <laughs> Why did he move to, to Bristol and not? Because it's halfway between Reading and Cardiff. So was he so on that then, was he quite a like a homeboy? Was he was he was he reluctant to, to, to leave Reading? I think he I think he didn't like he he probably didn't feel like he could live in Cardiff and he you know he liked the fans. He really liked the fans, the Cardiff fans, because they're really good fans, right? And he always responded well to fans. Uh, they had the same passion as, as the Reading fans would have done. But I think I think he thought, maybe he thought this isn't going to work out. He soon realised it wasn't going to work out. And that, you know, he didn't want to make that full commitment to, to live in Cardiff. At Robin's funeral, there were over 700 people in attendance many of whom were supporters and fans of the clubs that he'd played for and admirers of his skill and his talent and his personality. For someone who had such a short career, he left such a lasting impact on so many people 
both in and, and outside of the football world. I wanted to know why. Why had he resonated so much with people? I mean, looking at it from a modern context, you might like sort of look at some of his antics and, and think, oh, was he a, a nice guy? Was he a nice person? But I think the fact that so many people attended his funeral kind of illustrates that he, he ultimately was, and he was really well-liked, even if his behavior wasn't perfect at, at times. And I think that's important to emphasize as well. Like, of course, he was flawed, but uh, he, he was a good guy deep down and, and well-meaning and obviously well-liked. He would give, you know, if you said to him, Robin, if, could you lend me a fiver? And he only had a fiver on him. He'd give it to you. You know, he had no... You know, he, 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 you know, because of where he he came from, he understood, you know, what, what, you know, generosity meant or kindness meant. And I think the other important thing is that he was never a liar. He never lied or covered up his behaviour. And whether you liked it or not, you had to agree to his honesty. There's an incident where Tommy Yolden, they're playing a game and somebody goes into the changing room and nicks his wallet. <clears throat> oh, sorry, at trainings, and he, he lost, he's, he'd lost like 70 quid, which in 1975, 76, a lot of money. And of course, everybody thinks that it's Robin who's nicked it. But Charlie Hurley gets everybody together and he goes, Robin, did you steal Tommy Yolden's wallet? And Robin said, no, I didn't. And Charlie Hurley said, well, that's good enough for me because, Robin, you're the most honest man in this building. And I think people... People like that, you know. If you if you're who you are, rather than trying to pretend you're something else, there's a kind of there's a uh, there's it's a quality people like. I think you know he never tried to cover up anything, and the fact that Tommy Yulden was at his funeral and so many people were there and you know six hundred seven hundred people just is testament to his character. So there you have it, Robin Friday. Thank you for joining me today on the first episode of under flat caps and bowler hats. I hope you'll join me again in two weeks' time when I'll be speaking to the Everton Heritage Society about George Harrison, the former Everton footballer. You can also find the rest of our shows by the same feed that you found this one, and you can find us on Twitter, at marking underscore man. And don't forget to use the hashtag, where's the talking, lads? If you have enjoyed this episode, then give it a like, give it a subscribe, share it with your friends and your family and anyone you think will enjoy it. I'd like to take this time to say a big thanks to Paolo Hewitt and to Paul Fennessy for their generosity of time and, and their interesting thoughts on Robin Friday and his career. And our next episode on Man Marking will be out on Monday, where we'll be speaking to former Scotland international striker Chris Uwalumo. And I'm going to leave you now with the words of Paolo Hewitt. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you soon. You know, I'm, um, I was um, very lucky. You know, I was lucky that I was in with the Oasis lot and that I, and that I got to, to do the Robin story. Um, you know, I feel very kind of honoured. And I know Tony and Sheila, his, his mum and Lisa, are very, you know, very happy because... Even now, it, it still goes on. You know, the, the thing about Robin is it never goes away. Yeah. It's always, it's always, I'm always getting asked about him or, you know, 
you know, Reading play Cardiff and match the um, football focus would do a thing on Robin. And, and that's the thing about Robin, you, you, you know, like I said about that goal for Tranmere, against Tranmere. You know, it was a free kick, it was a goal kick, it was a throw on, it was a pass, you know. It, there was this whole mythology that kind of grows up around it. And also, you know that thing where, you know, you say one thing to one person and he says it to another and to another and to another and by the time it's finished, it's completely different from yeah. where it started off. That's, 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 that's what happened with Robin. So somebody would say, oh, I saw Robin Friday in a pub before the game. Well, he might have just popped in to have a piss, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that, that, that gets translated and he was off his head. Time he got another pitch, he was all over the shop, you know. And that's the fascination about Robin as well. Then his sadness is a shame he's not around, you know, to sit down and go, well, actually, this, this and this, you know. <laughs>